For the Athletic Podcast Network, this is The Update. I'm Adam Copeland. On today's show, we'll talk to Dennis Lynn, who covers the San Diego Padres for The Athletic, about the new-look San Diego Padres down at Petco Park. Juan Soto, Brandon Drury, Josh Hader, Josh Bell, all coming over at MLB's trade deadline. Just how much of a threat are they to the Giants in the National League West? Well, they're still in second place in the West, but the Giants handled business on Monday night, and the Padres have struggled mightily since acquiring 23-year-old Juan Soto from the Washington Nationals. All things we can talk about with Dennis Lynn, who joins me next. Today is Wednesday, August 10th. It's a pleasure to welcome to the podcast, Dennis Lynn, covers the San Diego Padres for The Athletic. First time we've had Dennis on, man. Good to have you on as the uh, Giants and the Padres are squaring off down in San Diego. It's a new-look Padres team as the Giants go down to Petco this week. How you doing, Dennis? Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's certainly an exciting time in San Diego, despite the, uh, I guess, early results. For the team, but when you have Juan Soto in the lineup and Fernando Tatis Jr. coming back at some point, I don't blame the fans at all for uh, having a lot of anticipation. Yeah, I mean, it looks like a party down there every single night. I mean, lights are going off. They got the flashy uniforms. Fans are getting into it. It looks like they're selling out most of their games. Sort of reminds me of, of what was happening here in the Bay Area during the Giants World Series runs. Before we get to uh, some of the Tatis and the Soto stuff, I wanted to ask you, in covering the trade that went down that actually brought Juan Soto to the Padres, the funniest or strangest element of the trade to me was the Eric Hosmer bit, where I, I sort of felt bad for Hosmer, where he signs this contract years ago, gets the big money to come to the Padres, is there for the rebuild and things are finally about to take off and then he gets traded what he thinks is out to DC and then he declines the trade because he had the no trade clause in his uh, contract and then Luke Voigt gets flipped like because he wouldn't accept the trade out to DC Luke Voigt kind of gets the shaft how, how sort of a funky situation was that to cover man yeah talking about feeling bad for people I, I also feel bad for Luke Voigt who uh, you know wants <laughs> yeah, to right, win very right. badly was part of the Yankees obviously that culture for a few seasons and his bat was kind of coming around, and he's you know he had I think the second most home runs on the team, and then yeah, all of a sudden Eric Hosmer turns down the uh, DC trade, at least his own involvement in it, and Luke Voigt is straight out. Sure, you know Eric didn't think at that point that you know that was going to lead to Luke Voigt being traded, but the Padres just wanted to um, either you know those two guys or Will Myers kind of lower their luxury tax figure a little bit by including one of those guys in the deal, although they you know soared well past the luxury tax threshold by making the deal anyway. But yeah, I think your your point about Eric Cosmer kind of being the original guy they brought in to try to usher in a new chapter in the Padres history. It is interesting, like how how far his uh, stock has fallen since then. And Major Preller has always been in the business acquiring stars. And back then, Eric Cosmer was considered, you know, the borderline star. Definitely was paid like one. And at some point, you know, if you take so many big swings, a lot of them are going to work out. And that one definitely did not work out. You know, Eric Cosmer kind of worn out his welcome in San Diego, and they bring in this guy, and they bring in. Josh Bell, who plays first base, there wasn't really any room for him anymore. Yeah, they bring in uh, Josh Bell, who plays first, and they get Brandon Drury, who can also play some first base, too. I mean, they, they've got versatility all over the infield. Jake Cronenworth, another guy who can play all over. We've seen uh, Will Myers at times play all over the diamond, so certainly a versatile team. In terms of the trade itself, I mean, from a marketing standpoint, from a fan standpoint, it's an incredible trade. You get one of the greatest players in the game in the middle of a lineup that was already second place in the National League West and had uh, had playoff aspirations. From a deeper standpoint, when you look into what it is San Diego gave up, and Mackenzie Gore 
Moore, who was the number three former pick. I think they gave up four former first-rounders in general in that trade. What's the thought about the haul that they gave up? Because with the Dodgers, we see them do this each and every year. They go out and they get some of the biggest players, and they use huge assets or draft equity to do so. But then the next year, they bring up more and more talent. They're doing it right now. They got this guy, James Outman, who's like a phenomenal talent in the middle of their lineup now. Are the Padres, you think, in the same position where they could afford to give up that talent, maybe only have a couple of years of Juan Soto, and then still be able to, to sustain what it is they're building? Because they gave up four first-rounders. That was kind of the entire rebuild. Right. Well, the question is, um, you know, how long will they be able to sustain it? And I don't think anyone in baseball thinks they're as well set up as the Dodgers would have been to take on a trade like this. The Dodgers just have more resources, more financial flexibility. And part of that's just, uh, you know, Andrew Friedman's been a really good GM. And you look at their future financial commitments, they're actually, you know, I guess pretty light compared to uh, what the Padres have on the books going forward. So they can definitely sustain it better going forward. And you, you know, talk about their TV deal, it dwarfs the Padres in San Diego. Just everything else seems, you know, set up to, you know, better sustain something like this. But as far as the Padres go, they've just been looking up at the Dodgers for so long. And obviously the recent series Dodgers Stadium shows they're still looking up at them until proven otherwise. And they're just kind of sick of it. So they, they thought, you know, if we can get a generational guy who AJ Preller scouted when he was 15 and has loved forever and uh, you get, like you said, uh, two and a half seasons with him or, you know, three uh, playoff chases, we might as well go on up now and, they do think they can replenish their system relatively quickly. One of those guys in the deal, um, James Wood, who everyone loves, uh, has drawn some comparisons because of his height to Aaron Judge and guys like Jordan Alvarez, some pretty crazy superlatives for a 19, 20-year-old kid. Uh, he was just drafted last year. So that you know speaks to good scouting there. If they can do that with this recent draft this past month, they feel pretty good about replenishing their system. It's just, again, they're not as well set up as other teams. And maybe uh, AJ Preller's feeling a little pressure after, you know, eight years of this and no full full season, postseason trip for him yet to kind of go on now. And they've got a starting rotation right now that's pretty good. So they're trying to make the most of it. Yeah, Preller's a madman, dude. Uh, that seems like every trade deadline. I'm like, this guy likes everybody else's players more than he likes his own players. He just goes out and, and rebuilds his team or, or replenishes his team, it seems like, year after year. In terms of Juan Soto and a, a potential contract, I mean, we know he turned down $440 million from the Washington Nationals. Uh, I, you know, there's two $300 million contracts on the Padres roster right now with Tatis and with Manny Machado. They just gave Joe Musgrove a $100 million contract. What do you think in terms of, of a potential re-sign of Juan Soto? I just seems impossible to have three guys on your team that could make up nearly a billion dollars in total salary and maybe over a hundred million dollars a year just between the three of them. What's the thought on if they'll want to or if they'll be able to keep Juan Soto? Uh, They definitely want to. I think when you give up the amount of talent they did in this trade and some people would say it's the most prospect talent ever surrendered in a trade by team, you would hope it's more than just, you know, two more seasons of this with Juan Soto. And Peter Seiler, the Padres owner, he's grandson of Walter O'Malley, who moved the Dodgers West, nephew of Peter O'Malley, another former Dodgers owner. And, you know, he's, he really wants to take down LA. So what better way to do that than by keeping Juan Soto around for the next, I don't know, 10, 12 years. But at the same time, yeah, I think most people are of the mind that just seeing what he turned down from uh, the Nationals, the 440 million. And, uh, you know, some people say that was, you know, a no brainer for a guy of his caliber to turn down, but his agent's also Scott Boris. So, you know, Scott's always steered his clients to the open market, and he would think a guy like this may be the most talented hitter he's ever had. You'd want to test the open market. So it does feel like a long shot, but after what Seidler and Preller have done together over the past uh, several years, you know, starting again with signing Eric Cosmer, no one really saw that coming, at least that amount of money, you know, even just a few months prior to that, before they uh, signed Eric Cosmer. And 
Man Machado for 300 million and extending Fernando Tatis for 340 million. I think people are learning not to underestimate Peter Seidler and how much he wants to win and how much he's just dying to take down LA. So again, I think uh, it is a possibility. I think right now we're just, just have to wait and see how it plays out. I think Juan Soto wants to see how it plays out too before he misses anything long term. Boris, not a big, uh, not a big extension guy. Definitely more of an, an open market guy. He's got Boris with his clients. Uh, before we let you go, a uh, thought on Fernando Tatis Jr. When he comes back, is he a guy you think they'll they'll just plug back into shortstop? Do you think they move him back to the outfield? I know he did some of that a little bit last season. Uh, he also had the arm injury, and, and that may have played to a bunch of his throwing errors. Uh, what do you think the situation is with him? A, how soon is he back? And B, where do we see him out in the field when he does return? Well, it's kind of funny because they, uh, in spring training, they were projecting kind of like a mid-June, late-June return, and they kept getting pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. And now the most recent update is mid-August, so we're not that far away from it. I think there was some feeling before they pulled off the Juan Soto trade, and this might have played into it, that he might have been only 10 days away at that point. So, you know, maybe the, the, the DC series is going to be uh, you know, a big series with Soto going back to his old home right away. Uh, but I think a little we're looking at maybe a few days past that, that earliest. So. Sometime in mid-August, uh, you know, maybe close to late August is what we're looking at for Tatis. And I think when he comes back, uh, you're going to see him play shortstop. You're going to see him play center field. Uh, you're going to see him DH. He's probably not going to play every single day just to kind of ease him back in. But they really do need his bats. So I think you'll see him bounce around just to, you know, give him flexibility. And like you said, they have Brandon Drury here. And Haasling came at shortstop has been really good defensively this year. So they don't want to just bench him when Tatis comes back. So you're going to see Tatis bounce around and, uh, you know, play a little outfield like he did. Uh, last summer after coming back from, you know, one of those many uh, shoulder dislocations. So yeah, to your point, he does have some injury concerns uh, moving forward and always has since he's been in the majors, but uh, they're going to be careful with them and, um, you know, give, give him some days off, give him some DH days, but uh, he's definitely going to be a boost uh, whenever he comes back, assuming he comes back fine to this lineup, which, uh, you know, has not hit fastballs very well this season. And he's a guy who's known for crushing fastballs. So you pair him and Soto in the lineup and Manny Machado, assuming Manny, uh, gets his ankle back to 100% or close to 100% at some point, um, that's pretty formidable trio that the Potters feel really good about. He's been known for crushing 3-0 fastballs, too, uh, to be specific about uh, which fastballs he does crush. 3-0 fastballs, some of his favorites. Uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's, been, uh, it's been a lot of fun uh, getting to know you, Dennis, and, uh, and chatting some Padre baseball, man. We'll definitely be sure to, uh, to get you back on when the Giants and the Padres play again. And uh, when you're up here in the Bay Area next, I'll make sure I, uh, I come over and introduce myself at the press box. Thanks so much, dude, for coming on, and, uh, and we'll talk to you later, man. Sounds great. Sounds like a plan. Thank you very much. Great stuff from Dennis Lynn. Make sure you're reading him and following him in The Athletic or on The Athletic or listening to The Athletic, wherever it is and however you ingest The Athletic. Dennis Lynn is your guy for Padre Baseball, uh, certainly keeping you apprised of anything that happens with the Padres down the stretch here. Of course, the Giants take the Monday night opener. We'll see what happens the rest of this series that closes out today. Thank you to Dennis. Thank you to Brian, my producer. Thank you to you, the listener. If you're enjoying the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe to us wherever it is you're listening. We'll keep bringing you all the top stories in Bay Area sports. We're also going to get a little bit into 49er football on Friday. The Niners open their preseason schedule with a game against the Green Bay Packers Friday evening at Levi Stadium. 530 is when that game kicks off. And Kyle Shanahan has already said that Trey Lance and some of the other starters will be playing in in, uh, week one of the preseason and likely again week three. I think they're going to avoid that week two game of the preseason because it's uh, 14 days for three preseason games. Plus, they'll be having the joint practice with the Vikings next week. And so they'll want to, uh, to hold that out. I think Kyle Shanahan puts a lot of weight into those uh, those live practice sessions or joint practice sessions with other teams. So Friday, a little bit on the 49ers and the Packers. And then on Monday, a little bit on the Arizona Cardinals, finishing out your preview of the NFC West. Until Friday, everybody enjoy the week. We'll talk to you then.